it's time for the Everyman Well, Real Man Talk. Let's go. Time to grind, get inside your mind. Yeah, we working overtime. That's the only way to climb. We gon' make it in our prime. Signing on the dotted line, cashing checks left and right. That's the way I'm living. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Everyman Podcast. Now tonight we have a very special guest. We have Sam Winnell, who is a professional footballer and a trainee counselor. How are you doing tonight, Sam? Uh, very well, thank you, and um, pleased to be here, and, and excited to see what we what we've got in store. Yeah, very excited to have you on. You are technically our first professional footballer, even though we've had many come on and or talk to us and say yes, we'd love to come on. So hopefully, you're the start of us talking to to many professional footballers because I think it's a really big topic, men's health, um, and someone who's played in front of thousands of people and been sort of a role model for, for thousands of, of young people. I think it's really important that you're coming on and sharing your views on, on mental health and how important it is that individuals look after their health. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's so massive. What we usually kick off each podcast. I think there's a slight delay here on my side. Apologies. I think it's my internet. Absolutely fine. Uh, not in the best place tonight for internet. So, so, Sam, you were saying that, yeah, it's massive. Yeah, it was, well, I, I think there is a, a slight delay, as you were saying. Um, yeah, as it's massive. I mean, yeah. it, it's for me, it's exactly the same as physical health. Um, and I think that is something that it yeah. took me a long time to realise, um, and especially far into my career, about the effects it can have of having, not just having, you know, poor mental health or mental health where, you know, you feel as if you're struggling, but having good mental health and the importance of that as well and trying to stay as, as kind of neutral as possible, you know, not not finding the, the highs go too high and the lows go too low. It's about finding that yeah. balance and finding that neutrality somewhere in the middle. Um, so, yeah, it's huge. And I think the more that I've learned about it and the more that I've kind of um, grew within the industry and, and stuff like that, it just kind of elaborates what I've what I've just been saying in saying that um that yeah it's it's so important to, not just for for professional footballers or, or any other sports industry but for for everyone. Yeah I think you're absolutely right there and the fact it just probably isn't spoken about enough um is something that we really need to to make sure happens more often. Now we usually start each podcast by going around um, each of us lads and just saying generally how has our week been how are we feeling everything all right um ethan i'm going to start with you first mate how are you how's your week been and uh, everything okay yeah mate uh you know i'm really grateful you know for our guests coming on tonight and i'm loving the fact that i've had quite a shit week and shit, shit weekend and the fact that you stuttering and stalling and being a delayed has actually cheered us up so <laughs> i'm really happy that you've embarrassed yourself in front of our first pro footballer other than yourself who uh, oh, just in case you didn't know Sam Lewis is doing himself a disservice he was at Plymouth as a younger child so oh, he's been there and done that mate but he doesn't like to talk about it too much just every podcast um, <laughs> but no it's, oh, it's been a... mate he is such a dick <laughs> sorry mate I can't hear you it's the lag sorry we'll just put that down at the lag um, yeah it's been a tough week for me guys I'm not going to lie I've had a really tough professional week Um few doors have closed that I, that I opened myself and 
you know, I try to kick a few doors down professionally to, to progress and they, they've shut me face and some people might say it's my fault, some people might say um, otherwise, but so it's been a tough one and I've not been too well, chap. So not the best of week, but uh, our football team that Lewis was responsible for setting up for, which, you know, gets a lot of young lads involved and um, extended our own beaten run on Sunday, so that chair us up as well. Um, so yeah, and Lou's will tell you got man the match for the was it eighth game in a row or something, Lou? Hot streak, personal. Go on, you can tell Sam. Sam's a, f- a friend now. I'm you can gonna... tell him it's all right. <laughs> Mate, I'm not going to say anything shy. because I think Sam's already got. I, th- I think Sam's got it. That no matter what I say, you're just going to rip me for it. So I will. T- Take it, but I'll take it offline and, and have your life back in the chat later on, mate. So, all good. Uh, Dean, Sounds how good. are you getting on, mate? I'm doing well, mate. Um, having a good good week back at, um, back to a bit of back to reality for me. Um, I'm working out with yourself, Lewis, most mornings, most afternoons, going for runs and stuff, feeling like I'm getting fit, losing weight. Um, really, really nothing else to report, to be honest. Excited to have a professional football on and uh you know get the ins and outs of, of what what it's about um being that i like to think of myself as living as a professional just i don't play as a professional um but i reese what about yourself mate yeah all good thanks yeah um had a good week at work uh saturday did a bit of diy in the garden put up a fence um with my stepdad and then um yesterday i did an aquathlon again Game 10th in that. I was the swim was absolutely brutal. Don't do much swimming, so 500 meters of swimming really took it out of us. But I recovered a bit on the run. But yeah, all good. How about you, Lou? Yeah. Again, I don't know when I'm talking and when you can actually hear me here. So I can see by the laughter, there's clearly a big gap. Um, there's pretty much as big of a gap as Ethan leaves when you take a shot in the goal. So apologies for everyone who's listening. Um, I'm I'm good. I think I'm sick of the sight of Dean. I've seen him, including today, probably like eight days in a row or something. And for anyone who knows Dean, I think about eight minutes is usually enough with him. Never mind eight days in a row. Um, and he's just told me this weekend that he's free on Saturday as well, um, which means he's already trying to film our Saturday. But yeah, good. I'm in a really good place, mate. I'm training a lot, running a lot. Uh, like I did a gym, then a run this morning, then work. Um, just trying to be healthy and, and get a bit fitter, to be honest. Um, trying to get in a, in a better place. Um, Sam, how are you? How's your week been, mate? Uh, very good, thank you. Um, a bit of a strange one. I was up there with the at the in-laws' house, um, house sitting and looking after some farm animals. So I'm not not really used to that. Um, a bit chaotic looking after the goats, hens, rabbits, two dogs, and a baby. So that was, um, yeah, a bit chaotic, but yeah. enjoyed it as well. Enjoyed it at the same time. But um, but no, I'm, I'm in a good place too. I mean, I'm, I'm doing my level four um, counselling qualification at the moment. Uh, so I've, this week's kind of assignment yeah. was to write a CV, and I've never I've never written a CV ever before. So that was um, that was a nice task put to me. Um, so yeah, in a good place um, and just yeah, enjoying life. 
Yeah, that's that's really good to hear. And I'm hopefully look the laughing because of the lag, and I'm really sorry to anyone listening. I am gonna I'll drop off and come back, and hopefully that helps a little bit. If not, I will hand the baton over to one of the other guys to to lead. Let's hope they can do as good as good of a job. And um, Sam, one just question don't come back, Lewis. Fine. To, just don't come back. All right, mate. Yeah. I think one thing to, to ask is how have you found this year with um. I suppose, well, am I right in thinking you're still looking for your next club? Is that something that's... Like, like how have you find it, found it not maybe being in pre-season and then sort of where you are now? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, there's There's been a lot of days where you wake up and, you know, you don't want to go to the gym or you don't want to go for a run um, or you just want to pig out on the sofa because you know that essentially you haven't got to go to training. But it's tough. It's, it's hard to stay disciplined yeah. and, and obviously getting to this stage of my career now where it's not as as easy to get a club as it was when I was maybe 10 years younger. Um, I am currently training with, yeah. with a team. I won't uh, give too many details away. Um, but I'm keeping myself fit and I'm enjoying football again. Um, and just seeing where that takes me, to be honest, it's, it's, it's you know, I'm not going to go into... I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Being a free agent and being not starting the season is difficult mentally because all you want to do is be playing on a Saturday when you see all your your mates, ex teammates, and, and stuff like that playing and, and having success, playing in front of crowds. And you do feel as if you're missing out. You do feel as if you you've you've had a purpose and it's just been taken away from you. So it's very challenging. Um, the best thing you can do is just try and stay adaptable um, and just be ready for when when the phone rings um, and stay positive because like I said yeah. there's so many people in my life around me that are there to support me um, the last thing I want to do is, is kind of take out my frustrations out on them so I think that's that's the the main aim is to try and um, just be in a positive mood for for the people around you Yeah, Sam, you just mentioned there, mate. Um, just jumping in, obviously, there's been haven't looked at your career. You know, we've had a great career, mate, and obviously, I hope things work out with this club. Um, you can tell us off air. Uh, thank God, Vindy's gone as well. Um, you can tell us off air. Uh, maybe give some information on what's going on. But I just want to look back, and now you can tell as much as you want or as little as you want, just about the injury side of things, because obviously there was an issue last season. He spent a lot of time on the sidelines. Um, have looked over over your career. How did you get past those barriers and come back stronger every time? Because you've got to be a point where you know you've we're quite open on this chat with mental health and feeling down. You know, myself just earlier you, you heard. How did you get all those obstacles and come to the other side? Was it a case of friends, you know, a partner, a family? You know, would you mind explaining a little bit more about that for anyone who may be going through a similar issue or have struggled in the past? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, um, it's it's tough. I mean, like, I mean, I think one of the good things that I've had uh, is that in my, my kind of first year professional when I was at Wolves, I um, I tore my ACL uh, and that left me out for six months. And I think that was just a reality check of what, what can be really within football. Um, and that kind of taught me to be resilient in, in moments like that, in moments where... You are injured, you're in the gym alone a lot of the time and, and having to kind of rely on yourself for motivation. Um, 
and discipline the the biggest thing you can do is just keep going and treat every day as it comes and there are going to be days where you, you know you're not feeling great or you're down or you're not at your best and I think it's being kind to yourself on those days and, and making sure and giving yourself a bit of a break and, and just understanding yourself and, and your own moods but then on the days where you are feeling positive you need to really seize the day and, and make the most of it and I think that's the way you kind of have to take all forms of injuries is just try and take it, take it day by day and control what you can control that day. Um, I mean, the most frustrating thing that I had last year was all the injuries that I had, I had like three different ones and they, they were, they were kind of half niggly. Like there weren't really ones that where I thought, mm-hmm. Or in my ankle injury, I did an, I, I, I ruptured a, a ligament in my ankle in February, which kind of saw me off for the season. But the the first two I had in the start first half of the season, they were just so such frustrating ones, ones which weren't massively substantial, but ones were, that were keeping me off off the field. Um, and they're the hardest ones, you know. I think sometimes the longer term ones are easier because you just kind of get your head around the fact that you're not going to be playing for a while. And you've got no other alternatives but to just grind it out day every day. But when the ones are like little niggly ones where you're like waking up just hoping to feel a little bit better, which might have a little bit of progress, that's where the frustration lies um, when it comes to injuries. But I think, like I say, because I've I've done two ACLs, two long-term, really long-term injuries, you know, I'm, I'm in a good place. Not in a good place, but I'm quite well experienced when it comes to to injuries and, and how to deal with them um, because they are, like you say, they're, they're the bane of all sports people's lives because they essentially stop you doing from what you want to do. So, but as I say, experience helps. That's the way I, the only thing I'd describe it as. Nah, top man. I appreciate that. So, uh, I'm ha- Lewis is back. And he thinks I still have a lag. Again. I am sorry, I have a lag. I still have a lag, don't I? I am really sorry because I jumped in there first. Uh, Sam, we can't get the staff, can we? Yeah, I'm, don't worry. Hands I'm up if we hands up if we kick Lewis off the podcast for good. And Sam becomes <laughs> the new leader. Tonight. Not even just tonight for good. Like, for, I good. Be- for good, that's it. Yeah. Exactly. We vote. Exactly. Yeah. Sam, we are so, so, hiring now. Sam, we are hiring for lead host if you want to apply. Sack the club off and come join us. Well, I need a job, lads, so, you know. We, we don't pay anything. We actually charge you to be on the podcast. It's just it's just 30 bags a week. I hope you don't mind. Oh, um, yeah. I'll get you on there, mate. Um, just uh, before Vindy jumps back in, uh, Sam, I just want to elaborate. I really appreciate you opening up there, mate. I know it's, it's something that's not really, you know, something that's content widely taught about and you know it could be a bit of a dark path and bringing up stuff that you probably don't want to chat about you know something personally i've struggled with is diet my whole life um eating and overeating and i'm quite a big binge eater which i'm looking to get help for um a few of the lads are as well now obviously i can imagine nutrition in your line of profession is controlled very much so but do you personally like subscribe to any sort of diets or anything like that obviously to counteract any injuries I know vegan a lot of people try vegan diets to help information things like that is there anything you maybe have tried and along the way that you can maybe share with us just on the diet side of things I mean I, I, I did try a vegan diet um, tried it for six months and if I'm going to take on this mate made me really unhappy yeah yeah um, made me really, really unhappy I just felt 
hungry all the time, just felt not satisfied with the food that I was eating. Um, and I mean, I, I enjoy food. I love my food. Um, obviously, you have to be quite careful and balanced with the food that I have. And, and, you know, you kind of have to pick your moments when to kind of enjoy food and when to see it as fuel, essentially. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've tried, I've tried things before, but I didn't really enjoy the, the veganism. Um, and it wasn't for any, any other reason other than I wanted to give it a go and see if it did have a positive inf influence on my performance. Um, but I, I didn't feel it because mentally it was, it was probably putting me down. So yeah, I've tried it, but to be honest, the big thing for me is just is balance. And I think that's the, the big thing. I think it's kind of getting to, into that mindset of do I need this or is this going to help me? And I think there are times where I think, where, you know, I think, well, yeah, it is. I'm, it is going to help me. I, I need to, you know, give myself a little bit of a breather. You can't be, you know, can't be completely committed to eating perfectly all the time. There are times where you can enjoy yourself within professional football. You know, it's not as if you're so disciplined that you don't get a chance to enjoy yourself, but um, I think there's a time and a place for it. And I think that's the, the big thing that I've kind of tried to stick by throughout my whole career, even more so as I've got older, because I think as you get older, it becomes more, more prevalent, more important. And when you're a kid, you can get away with it a bit more. But yeah, I think the big thing is balance. Big thing is is kind of having that discipline of saying, you know what, like I probably don't, shouldn't have this today. Maybe I'll have it on Saturday after a game, after I've just burnt three, four thousand calories. Um, and I think that's the way I've kind of uh, approached approached diet throughout my whole career. Nah, top man, I appreciate that. I mean, balance is something me and a few of the lads haven't quite worked out. Um, I mean, I still have two garlic baguettes with every meal I ever have, including breakfast. So I need to be careful of that. Uh, but I appreciate that, Trav. I appreciate that, mate. Uh, I mean, garlic baguettes are nice, so I do. Oh, mate. Uh, they're very nice. So I can, I can understand, understand why you've chosen that. 100% mate, they complement every meal very nicely, I must say. Even cereal. Oh, even cereal mate, you can't go wrong, you can't go wrong. Um, anyways mate, I've, I think I've took enough of your time, we'll hopefully lose his sort his, his uh, internet out, um, even though he works for an internet provider. So, Lou, over to you pal. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's, can you hear me normal now? You can't, can you? Yeah, it seems better. Unfortunately, That's yes. Much better. Great. Yeah, so bad. apologies to all listeners here. Um, so Sam, there was a there was a point around you saying that you've had two ACLs. Now I've not had an injury like that before. So my question would be, what does the next day actually look like? So you you've been stretched off a pitch. You, I presume you you've gone to hospital. You've had your scans. Like, what does the next day? And then what does the first day back at actual like actually at training? What does that realistically look like? Well, it was interesting. It was different for me with, with both of them. So with my first one, um, I was 18. It was my first first game of pre-season as a professional um, while I was at Wolves. Um, that one, I knew straight away. Um, when it happened, I felt a pop. People around me heard a pop. You know, gas. I had physios run on, giving me gas and air, got stretched off. Um, you don't actually go straight to the hospital with a... With a an ACL, you actually, you went, most people walk 
out of the stadium, which is quite crazy. So you walk out and then you don't have a scan for probably the, until the next day or a couple of days afterwards. Um, and then you get the dreaded bad news, I suppose, to be told that, you know, you've got to have an operation and, and there's nothing that you can do that's going to get you back before before six months. Um, and that is the absolute quickest you'll ever get signed off to get back to playing football. My second one at Derby was was incredible, mate. I mean, I did it during the game. Um, and I remember doing it. We were playing Brentford at home. I chased down a fullback, went to change direction and just felt a little like pop in my knee, uh, hyperextension. Nothing nothing bad, didn't feel as if I'd done anything drastic. Um, physio come on, said he did some checks for me, said, how are you feeling? I said, yeah, I'm all right. And I actually finished the game. Um, Bloody finished, hell. Yeah, finished the game. Played pretty well, won a penalty. Um, <laughs> yeah, which was just insane. And then I came, came off at the end of the game and my knee had swollen a little bit. So I just said to the physio, oh, my knee's still a bit sore from that moment when you come on. What do you want me to do? And they says, oh, just, just come in tomorrow. See the physios. We'll do some treatment on it. Uh, and then we'll get you a scan um, just in case. Anyway, came in. I mean, I went, went out that night for dinner, you know, had a few drinks, felt absolutely fine. Um, went in the next day for to have a little bit of treatment, had the scan. And then 24 hours later, the Monday morning, um, got called in by the, the doctor and the physio and just said, Look, we've, it's, it's the worst news. Sam, you've, you've torn your ACL. Um, and at that, I, I genuinely thought um, they'd scan the wrong knee. I, I yeah. genuinely thought they'd scan the wrong knee because I was walking fine. You know, if you'd have asked me to do a jog, I probably could have done it. Um, I couldn't have I couldn't have you know, trained or anything like that. But I, I knew it was, I, well, I felt as if it wasn't that bad. I wasn't in that much of pain. That was yeah. tough, really tough. Um, it hit me hard because of kind of the age where I was at, the situation I was at, because I was 20, I just turned 27, um, which is kind of your prime as a footballer. I was at Derby where I was kind of on loan, where I was loving, I was loving my time there, really enjoyed the club and thought everyone there was, was amazing. Um, and it just brought up the fear of what, what comes next, really. Um, and you're straight away yeah. thinking, is this is this career over? And although you know an ACL isn't the isn't the worst injury to overcome now, I mean you see some people coming coming back stronger from them. It still casts that doubt in your brain, and I think I needed a good couple of, of days to kind of process it. Um, so thankfully the Derby physio staff were brilliant. They gave me a couple of days off. They gave me the Tuesday, Wednesday off, and then I had the operation on the Thursday. Um, and then yeah, then it's then it's all uphill from there. Thankfully, it's just you, you get the operation out of the way. You come out feeling horrendous, in horrendous yeah. pain. Worse than the, the, the pain of after the operation is worse than the, the pain of doing it. Um, but thankfully, and is that just better. because they've cut you up so much? Is that is that why they've because they've had to like open the leg and there's other injuries that they've caused by doing it or? Why, why is it so uh, much more kind of, yeah, it's 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 it's, a, it's quite a brutal quite a brutal operation, mate. Like the the you know, it's not delicate, they kind of like smash it, smash it about because they have to completely open your leg up, your knee up really. Um and the way that like I've I've had two, so I've had a hamstring graft on my right side, which is where they take a part of the hamstring to make as the new ligament, and then on my other side I had my patella tendon, so they 
cut a little bit of your patella tendon and make that as the um, the operation. But but yeah, it's kind of the trauma of, of surgery which makes it makes it extremely painful. Yeah, that sounds honestly horrific. Um, luckily, it's not something that I've ever been through. Guys, Dean, Reese, then what, what's your sort of injuries? Reese, you must have had some bad ones, I presume, with all the exercise that you do. Um, yeah, I've had a, a few. Shin splints was a bad one I had from when I, um, one of my, no, it, it was. The the, no, no, not the same in any stretch, but the pain Worse. I was in through the shin splints. It was, I did um, a charity challenge, which was 13 half marathons in 13 days. And by seventh one, maybe, I was just in absolute agony. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a tough one. It took, us, it took us a good two, three months to recover from that as well. I couldn't really do anything after it because it, it became painful to walk everything. It wasn't just when I was running. And then um, mm -hmm. my collarbone as well, when I smashed that plane for Dudley on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, centre-back just decided it uh, was when I was running when I didn't have the ball and just landed, thought I'd um, dislocated my shoulder. Yeah, thought I'd dislocated my shoulder because there was a big lump. Got to the hospital, thought they were just going to pop it back in. And um, yeah, the x-ray showed that it was pretty smashed. I had to have a operation a couple of days later, metal plate, cross it, screws in, into it. But yeah, that was nice either. And then it's a it's a time off work afterwards as well, which is the, I guess that's the worst part because at the time I had a young son um, and, well, I was on SSP only, which is well, about 90 quid a week. So it's a, it's, that's the most difficult part about an injury for say myself when I was taking six weeks off work and you're losing pay and then it's, how am I going to pay the bills? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, Sam, this is probably a, a slightly different question. And again, you, you can answer this as, as honestly as you like around this. So Premier League players get sort of five, six, seven year contracts. And we've, again, we've spoke to lots of people, even people who haven't quite come on the podcast yet around maybe in the lower leagues, but still very high level, you're not maybe given that five, six year deal where you have that full confidence that if I have a long injury, I'm okay for the next three or four years. Anyway, I've got that longevity in, in my contract. So did, did that ever come into your mind when you think, for example, I'm potentially going to be out here for six, eight, nine, 12 months and I might only have a 12 month contract. Was that ever something in your head where maybe that links into what Reese has said of, oh shit, I've got bills to pay after that 12 months and then what happens after that? Um, I was, I must admit, I was really fortunate with my ACLs because uh, when I did my first one, Wolves were, were very, were brilliant. They said, look, don't worry about the contract situation. I, I, was, I actually had 18 months left. Well, I had two years, kind of two years left when I did it. And I said, look, don't worry about your contract. You will get the same amount of time to prove yourself even when you're back. Um, oh, brilliant. Thankfully, which was really good. And then thankfully, when I did come back, within six months, I'd, I'd proven myself and they'd given me another three-year deal. So, I mean, nice. that was kind of like just massive weights off my shoulders, especially as, a, as an 18-year-old, first-year pro, you know, for that to happen in my first game, it would have been so easy for the club to just say, you know what, 
we, we don't need to take a gamble on this guy or put any money into this guy. Let's just let's just you know ease him out. He's got two years left on his contract. We'll see those two years out and then see him off. But the club were really good with me. Yeah, me, you know, a really good deal for someone my age and and, and the experience and the injury that I've been through. Um, yeah. So that was great on that front. With my second one, it was a little bit different because I was on loan at Derby um, and I was actually hoping and, and there was kind of aiming to, to sign permanently from Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and that injury kind of, you know, it kind of set off a, a ripple a ripple effect of events that um, meant that I had to go back to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, but luckily, again, I had two years left on my contract. So it kind of takes away the, the pressure. And um, the timing wasn't great on that one because I did it in the February and I didn't actually get back playing properly in the first team until December. So that one was that one was like 10 months. Um, mm -hmm. And then, uh, to be honest, for the rest of the season, I was just playing catch-up. I had no pre-season. I had no games under my belt. And although I did make quite a few appearances in the, in the second half of the season, like, I didn't feel fully fit. I didn't feel fully right. Um, and it wasn't until the next season, well, the start of the next pre-season, where I fully started to feel recovered and that it wasn't um, wasn't a hindrance anymore. But yeah, I mean, you see it so often within football. Luckily, that that didn't happen to me at the time with the ACLs. But you mm -hmm. see it so so often that you know guys will have a year's a year's contract, they'll tear an ACL, the contract will finish, and then they have to find alternative modes of physiotherapy, whether that be going using the PFA and going to St George's Park and using the facilities there because you get three weeks free um, through the PFA or just finding your own physio. And it, it can be really difficult. It can be really difficult. Um, I'm just really thankful that that hasn't, hasn't happened to me. Yeah. I mean, Sam, just a quick one, mate, building on obviously what, what Luce has, has said there, just to move on from sort of injuries and things like that, but on the similar topic of contracts, um, obviously footballers get a bit of a bad rap, you know, um, big wages, fancy cars, you know, the women, um, things like that. I think that a lot of young men want themselves, you know, they see obviously the Lamborghinis, things like that. But obviously it, it's quite the opposite. That's probably the upper end of the spectrum. You know, you've you've got a handful of players who can probably do that. Obviously I know now with the likes of Man City players and your Manchester United and things like that. But in fact, a footballer's career is so short and condensed. I mean, I would like, obviously, we're not going to talk money. That's not, that's distasteful. But if you can just sum up, if you had to work whilst you've had a contract at clubs, I mean, or do you do stuff on the side? I know obviously you want to go into counselling, which is, is fantastic and something I think would be a real benefit to other people, you know, you, you're great to talk to um, in that respect. But I would just let you know and just shed a bit of light on that in the fact that whether things are as accurate as people may seem and just trying to debunk some of the myths of people have um, people have that on the go, if that's all right. No, yeah, of course, it's a good question. Um, to be honest, you, you, you're right. I mean, the Premier League has just such a disparity from... Um, the rest, the rest of the football league, really. I mean, the championship is still, you know, a fantastic opportunity to to earn money. Like it's it's life changing money, you know. And there's no two, you know, no way or other to other describe it really. Um, 
you know, and I, I'm lucky enough that that kind of I've played quite a few years in the championship, so I've you know had a good good living out of the game so far. Um, but the, when you look at the Premier League numbers, especially now, it's the best league in the world. It's got the best players in the world. Of course, it's going to have the highest wages in the world as well. Like yeah. that's just it's just natural that it's that way. It's the most entertaining and it gets the most fans. You know, it is just got everything going for it. It's a fantastic business essentially and that business doesn't run without its players you know if you took the players away from that business unfortunately it wouldn't work and that's the one thing that you can't take away from football is as soon as you take the players off that pitch there's no games so yeah i understand why players get paid and the best ones get paid a lot and it is a hell of a lot as well but it's not the players' yeah. fault, essentially. They've worked all their life to be that level. They've put in, made so many sacrifices. They've, you know, put in so many hours of practice to be where they be and made so many kind of been disciplined the whole life. And, and not just them, their families as well, you know. Their families have, some families will have given up absolutely everything just for their son or, son or daughter to have a, a great chance at being a professional footballer. Um mm-hmm. And I was lucky that my family did that for me as well. So, you know, I'll never, I'll never be one of those people that turns around and says, you know, that footballers don't deserve the money that they get paid. I do think there needs to be more, it needs to be more level playing field from the Premier League to the Football League. I think as soon as you get into like League Ones and Twos, don't get me wrong, again, still on huge money in, you know, respect to, the rest of the world but the disparity is just so so uneven i mean the average wage i think in the premier league is something like 65 grand a week yeah 65, 70, i think it's 75 the last i've seen it's 75 grand a week i mean you know you go down to league two say which is for four divisions lower than that you're probably looking at 1500 to two grand a week now, don't get me wrong. That's still seventy-five grand a year to, to seventy-five to hundred grand a year. Massive wage, you know. That's it's, it's brilliant. But the Premier League players are earning that in a week. It's fifty-two times more than what a League Two player could be potentially earning. Yeah. Now, I don't think the League is fifty-two times better than League Two. So the, there is a real disparity within the wages, and that even gets even worse when you go down into non-National League. Well. Yeah, exactly. Massively. When you go down internationally, it, get, it, can, it can get even worse as well. So there are there is a myth, and there is a myth, and as, and I've been kind of I've been kind of put under that stigma myself away from footballers. Yeah. Like, are oh, you a footballer? Are oh, you've got this? You've got that? You know, you've earned yeah. this. It's all glitz glamour. It's not. It's it's not. But I do understand. But you also. It. But you'll, you'll also adjust to your means, right? Like, we all have a life and live to a certain lifestyle. So, like, yeah, I get that. And and I do want to move away from the money conversation because I think your story is so much bigger than you being a footballer earning money. I, th- I feel like that that's a great part for us to, to touch upon. But one thing that you just mentioned there around, like, parents making their sacrifice for their children to, to make it. So... My parents made elements of sacrifice for me to try and make it. I know Ethan touched upon that before and I failed and, and all those sorts of things. And the, the, the challenge around all the away trips are six hours away and you're out all day and your parents are taking you to train and four or five times a week. And 
like the, the amount of investment from parents to help their kids get anywhere near to being a footballer is is crazy. Um, what I would be really interested to understand is what what were you like as a kid playing football? Were you so my friends who've made it, they were by head and shoulders by far the best uh, our age groups. Um, they were so th- there's a there's a one of my friends is a footballer. I'll not say his name because again, uh, there's there's no real reason to. But he's a year below me. He he's played in the Premier League for years. He's now in the Championship. He's a centre back now. But us growing up, he was a centre midfielder and scored eighty goals from centre midfield on like junior football, not in um, academy football. And he was just head and shoulders above everyone. What were you like? So you've made it. You were a striker. Like, were you just banging in goals left, right and centre on a Saturday before getting signed for a club? What was your academy career like? Yeah, I'd be really Um, keen to understand all of that. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind maybe a little bit similar to that. Yeah, I mean, um, I I started when I was about five playing for for just a local team in Wolverhampton, where I'm from. Um, And yeah, I think it was always kind of, you know, it was always kind of my dad's dream to, for me to be a footballer. You know, big, we both are big Arsenal fans, you know, and it was always his dream for his son. And I'm an only child as well. So there was always big emphasis on me, um, you know, moving forward in whatever I did because I had no kind of competition or no brother or sister to kind of get me out of the shit. You know, it was, it was kind of all on me and my shoulders. Um, but I think... It was one of them. My first ever like time my dad ever took me to a football kind of practice or training. It was like just stand by the goal, and when it comes to you, just kick it in. Um, and I think I kind of just stuck stuck doing that really. Um, and then I got better at it, and I did it more, and then I got better at it again, did it more, and then it just became like that's what I wanted to do. I think you know you've all been kids yourselves. Like when you're good at something, you want to do it more, don't you? And I think that was the that was the big thing for me. Um, I just loved scoring goals and I did that quite a lot for, for like Sunday league um, in my local team. I had quite a few scouts trying to take me from the age of like eight, nine, but my, my parents were quite you know, strict with me in the sense that they wanted me to join an academy when I was ready. Um, yeah. So then I joined Wolves Academy at 11 when I was in secondary school. And um, yeah, just really kicked on from there. It was... Um, a culture shock going from playing with your mates and just enjoying it and scoring you know four every week or whatever to join an academy where it is like it, it it's like being a professional footballer from that age yeah. you know you've got all the pressure you understand the consequences of not not having form in the sense that if you're not playing they'll just replace you um and they won't think twice about that either and that's not just i'm not that's not saying anything against wolves that is academy football throughout the country, probably throughout the world. It is just they're all looking for that one gem who's going to make them multi-million pounds or bring them success on the pitch. Um, but I was lucky because my my youth, my age group and my youth team, we had, uh, I think there's about six that went on to play professional football and have a good career within football that have played, you know, in the, in the football league. Some have played in the Premier League. So, you know, it is... It is a very rare occurrence, that is. Um, you know, most age groups, if you get one that has a career in football, it's a success. But yeah. that also, like, kind of highlights the 
the kind of risk that you take by trying to become a footballer or try or by joining an academy because like as you say if you get one from an age group in my age group there was probably over a hundred kids in the six seven years I was in the academy mm-hmm. there's probably a hundred different players that came came and played for us but only six went on to have a career and that's seen as an anomaly so yeah, yeah, it is. It's huge. So, I mean, you just have to look at that and just see how how hard it is to actually go on and to make a career within within the sport. Yeah, Reese, I'm sure you probably have some questions because so Reese's uh, son is at Newcastle currently, um, oh. which you, you asked some questions last week. So last week we had um, a guy called Gary Petit on, and he looks after like young athletes, helping them to um be successful like like an agent and with like pr and those sorts of things uh, and he gave reese some advice and so be interesting reese maybe to ask some of the questions or a similar sort of line of questioning um because i thought last week's conversation was really good yeah yeah no i am um, so he's he's my son is only five um he doesn't turn six until january so he can't actually play matches or anything yet like with the FA rules, so he's he's a, a really good club as well. Um, and then he trains with well, I've just been uh, the training ground with him there. Um, it's great, the coaches are amazing. He's the the kids that are there, the it's 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 all really good and it's a really good learning experience for him. I guess it's um, for someone that's a massive Newcastle fan, it's it's great to be able to go there and then we're seeing. One of the Newcastle players when we're driving out tonight, he stopped out of his car. He was getting pictures with like the young lads, and it's all just a great experience. And for me at the minute, it's all about him just enjoying it. I had a bit of pressure put on me when I was younger, and it it put me off football. Um, so I'm trying not to do that to him every day. It's just telling him just enjoy it, and I guess that's all I can really do as a as a dad to be as supportive as I can and just make it like i say it's just about enjoyment so what what sort of tips could you give me that i could sort of not so much bring him on as a player but just keep enjoying it and how to keep him relaxed like from when you were um at the academy yeah i mean that's it's great to hear it's great to hear that your son's there um and i'm sure he's in good hands i do know know one of the coaches in the, the academy at Newcastle, um, Peter Ramage, I played with him at Barnsley. He, he played for Newcastle as well, actually. Yes. He did, yeah. And he's a, he's a great guy. Um, so I'm sure he's in very good hands. But I think you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. It is about just trying to get them to enjoy it as much as possible. Um, I mean, I, I had... Like I say, as an only child, I had the pressure on from my dad more than anyone. Like I wanted to impress my dad more than I wanted to impress the Wolves coaches, you know. And that's the thing with me that I had that that kind of pressure on me. It drove me, if if anything, you know. Like I, there was times where, say, if I'd had a bad game and hadn't scored, I knew that like it was going to be a bit frosty getting into the car after the game. Yeah, yeah. Not in a bad way. It was just more that I knew that my dad wanted the best for me. Um, but I, I really felt that. So then when I did score and I did play well, I'd kind of rub it in his face a little bit. So it was like, it really drove me on and it gave me motivation. And I genuinely did think if I didn't have that, then I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't have had the career that, that I had. 
but that was me and that was the way that I found my motivation like that was kind of my way of dealing with it now when I speak to parents who, who've got children in academies like yourself the big thing I say to them is just try and take yourself out of the equation as much as possible you've got coaches there who are there for a reason they've done their they've kind of put the hours in to be qualified to, to train kids let them train kids and let you be the let you be a parent and like you maybe not comment on games or how you think he's played but just be there as his support and just be there as reassure him that if he has a good game great you're there you're his dad you love him if he has a bad game no worries there's another one you're his dad you love him and i think that was the that was the big advice i'd give um to any parent having a, a son in the academy is that take yourself away from the tactical side of things you know and that's what i'd say to my dad now if, we, if when we speak about retrospectively looking at things yeah. you know he's good about it he, you know he's good and he, he laughs we laugh about it now but um but yeah and i've had i've got a little i've just had a little boy i've had a son um who's eight months old um but i'll be pushing him into golf more than more than football <laughs> No, well, congratulations uh, on you, baby boy, um, and thanks for the advice. I guess, um, like you're saying about the coach, listen to the coaches. The good thing about the two clubs that he's at at the moment are parents aren't allowed to get involved at all. So you've just got to stand and watch. And I'm more than happy with that because I see, like, when he goes to tournaments and things, and you see parents shouting and stuff. He's been in club like places previously, and. I, I hate it because I knew that's what I used to get when I was a kid, and it really it it did put me off a lot from football. So I'm quite happy where he is. Coaches are the only ones that are allowed to speak. Parents aren't allowed to get involved, and that's ideal for me. Yeah, I think that's perfect, and I think it that extends to as like I say, when you get in the car on the way home, you know, like I think. That was always the the one for me. Like I I knew that my my academy was similar. The parents couldn't really shout from the sideline, but I, I just knew that if I'd had a good game, getting back, I loved getting back in the car going home. If I'd had a bad game, I'd be like, oh no, like this is a long journey. I lived in Wolverhampton. I lived five minutes from the training ground, and that journey back felt like three hours. So so like you know, that's the big thing. Is just like I say, is just making sure that. Whatever happens, good or bad, you just your son knows that he's got your hundred percent support um, and hundred percent faith. It's, that's all he can ask for. Appreciate it, thank you. I know um, Ethan had a question there as well. Yeah, mine was just more building on what you were saying there, Rico. Um, you know, uh, congratulations, Sam. You know, as well for for the Ben. Um, looking at it, obviously we've, we've got Rico's mentioned his his child, obviously. Uh, mind he's just had a Ben um, four years ago, however old the Ben, ben is now. Um, a year our, ago. Yeah, that was it. Uh, our pal and Captain Owen, he's got a, a young son who's a goalkeeper, a great young goalkeeper, you know, so we've got all these great dads and their sons coming up, you know, all these kids, and it's something that I'm enjoying seeing my friends having these relationships because it's something I've not necessarily had with my dad. My dad wasn't there. He didn't have the. He wasn't really bothered. He didn't bother himself to come to enemy match. He still doesn't. I've invited him. He's not asked. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, I invite. Him it's because he doesn't want to watch you on the bench. That's why. That is, he doesn't want to watch me on the bench. 
or concede eight. That's why he doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the two. Um, so you know, it's it's really it's something that's really refreshing to see my pals doing that and being good dads to their kids. You know, I think in having that mentorship as as much as obviously we want to live up to the coach's expectations, I think living up to your parents' expectations, like you saying, with your with your parents and obviously your dad there in the car journey, um, I think it's something really important. I mean, just moving away from that, in case anyone forgot, we've actually got Dean on the podcast who's also a striker, Sam. And, you know, I would just like to sort of say Dean's a good striker, but he can be better. So I was hoping you could maybe give Dean some tips. I don't know, Dean, do you want to do some drills in front of Sam who can work on your movements and things Dean, like that? Dean, go do some, Dean, go do some keepy-ups. Yeah, Dean, uh, go I can't do... do keep... I'm not, not doing keepy-ups. I can barely do keepy-ups. I'm barely kick a ball. I, I was going to come in and actually genuinely ask a question, just more, more around the confidence side of things, because it's something that I'll find one week I'll play and I'll just be full of confidence and I'll in everything that I do, I, I just know that my first touch is going to be good. You know, I know that I've got to be able to strike a ball. And then other games I play, I just, I don't know, maybe have a, a, a bung touch and then you're like, oh, you're in your own head. I was just wondering if that's something you've struggled with, how you how you sort of counteract that. Is it just a case of you've done so much practice that you never get it wrong or, or just any sort of advice or how you've dealt with that in the past? Yeah, I think, to be honest, any footballer that says they haven't suffered with a confidence crisis is probably lying. Um it happens to everybody, you know, it happens to absolutely everybody, That, especially the ones that I've come across anyway, everyone goes through it. Um, and it's tough and there's, and, and unfortunately, if there was an answer for it, you know, I'd be a very, I'd be a richer man than, than most of the footballers. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's, there's no real cure for it. That's the, that's the realism of it. I think, I think the way that I've always dealt with it is I don't think, me personally, my, my confidence issues have always been around um, my performance, not so much my, my goals, because I've been very lucky. I've very rarely gone on goal droughts. Like, and that's, you know, that's something that I've had, I've probably had all through my professional career, you know, is like I've never really gone like, you know, six, seven, eight games on a row without scoring. So I've been really fortunate and like, I think that's down to my kind of just attitude that if I just keep getting myself into the, the right areas, eventually one's going to go in. I can miss 20 in a row, but I know that one is going to go in eventually. And I think that's kind of been always my um, my kind of thought process when it comes to, to kind of football and in terms of goal scoring. Um I think my performance is different now. I, I know I've gone through spells where, um, where I've where I've struggled. Yeah, where I've been like, you know what? If I don't play well today, or if I don't score today, I'm not gonna I'm not I'm gonna be on the bench next week. And I think that's really um, that's always been my biggest kind of gripe in a sense is that like I know that I'm not at my best when I'm under threat. Uh, intense and in, in the sense that if I, you know, if I know that I've got to score, got to play well to stay in the team, yeah. you probably won't get the best out of me. The best you'll get out of me is when it's like, right, Sam, we need you to score today. Like the, all the pressure is on you to score. And like, I thrived under that. Like when I was at Barnsley, that was kind of how it felt. It felt that like when, when shit was going on and when we were playing crap, 
it was right we need Sam to get us a goal and get us out of the shit here or yeah. in the big games when it's like you know we need to nick a goal right Sam will pop up and nick a goal and I love that pressure I love that feeling of being the the kind of person that your teammates the fans the staff all look to that was more kind of when I didn't feel when I felt confident most was when I had that pressure as silly as it sounds yeah that's where that's how I felt the worst part of it the worst kind of times for me have always came when I've felt as if I'm I'm replaceable and that I'm going to be replaced um so I think it's it's different with different strikers I mean like well not just strikers all, all footballers it's different with footballers and then some will find it different than others some won't like having the responsibility of being the man who's they look to to score you know some will prefer being that person that you know what if i if i play well great if i don't i don't you know but that was never my kind of attitude my attitude was always i just hate the feeling of being replaceable yeah yeah how do you find that dean so when you when, when Sam's saying that he likes to be the man, he likes to have the pressure on his shoulders. So I've obviously played football with you a lot, Dean, and I think I know the answer to it. But how do you feel about that? Because I'm not that guy. That I, I, I don't. Sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I feel like I'm the guy and I can be like that. But then other times I don't. Like so, like some of my best games are like when I play for a new team and I'm I've I've got no. There's no pressure. There's no expectation. There's no expectation. Nothing to lose. And yeah. then you, you play unbelievable, and then you sign on, and then you play like shit. Uh, but I, I, I can sort of resonate with the, I can resonate with the, the bit when you like, you know, you feel a bit replaceable, and you're under pressure. Um, like this Sunday, like obviously, for our team, we're flying at the moment, and but you know, with Sunday league when you fly and everybody wants to play, and we've got twenty odd players that we need to get down to sixteen, and I got a chance on Sunday, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have a really good game. I'm, I'm up for it, and I, I, did, I didn't play bad. I wasn't horrendous. I was, I was all right, but I just felt like maybe the maybe I overhyped it in my head. I over put too much pressure on my on myself to think if I don't have a good game, I'm going to be dropped and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, I'm sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Sometimes I feel like I've got loads of confidence and I'm flying, and I am that guy. And then other times I'm thinking, oh god. If you if you squares it here, I might miss, and it, uh, it's hard to find that balance of, of getting back in. I think once you once you start bagging goals, or you know you get that confidence, you start playing well. It's just getting that runner runner goals really. Yeah, for certain, for certain. I mean, you see so much even at the top level. You know, you look at people like um, like Richarlison uh, at Tottenham. Yeah. You know, like look at his first kind of spell and like. He's openly admitted that he's he's you know got off the field mm-hmm. things going on um, that he's he's seeking help for, which has affected his performance. It, it doesn't surprise me that he comes out in the press, says that, and then scores the next week. Mm. You know, just that doesn't surprise me. It takes he took the pressure off himself by opening up, by showing a vulnerability. Maybe a weight was lifted by saying that, and the reaction he'd got to it that he comes on against. Chef United and, and scores the equaliser in the 98th minute or whatever it was. Mm. So, you know, like, there's no correlation. And, and that's the thing with confidence and, and anything like that is that there's no cure and there's no yeah. massive answer for it. It's just something that every person has to deal with differently. No, thanks, thanks for sharing. Ethan, did you want to jump in? 
Yeah, mate. Um, just a quick one, like just reiterating what you guys are saying. I'm not a striker. I mean, I would be lethal if I was a striker. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm six foot two. You know, I built like a brick shit house at 25 stone. So you know, um, I would do the business. I'm just saying, but I'm a goalkeeper by trade. Not very good one, as everyone will admit. But I'm I'm very much the opposite. I don't thrive under that pressure of having someone breathing down your neck. And it's quite good contrasting. Like I think for me personally, if if someone, if I know someone's watching on the sidelines or someone's in someone else's head, or you know, Lewis will tell you this as as black as night. You know what I mean? It's a case of I really struggle with that because it's almost like a paranoia. Like I must make this pass. I must save this shot. I must. Whereas in pre-season, for the first time probably in a while, I had a run of games where there was nobody else there. You know, I got and I, I still made daft mistakes, and you know it happens to the best. But I probably played some of my best football. My kicking was better. You know, my confidence was better. Things like that because you don't have that breathing down you. And it's quite the same in the professional game. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, goalkeeper podcasts, and I learn what I can. And you've got David Seaman who mentioned recently that he loved the fact that if he had a strong number two behind him, it made him want to go out and prove. Um, whoever the manager was, whether it was Arsene Wenger or anyone like that, um, or people before me wanted them to prove that he was the number one. And this number two might be good, but he's not as good as me. Whereas Peter Schmeichels came out and said he would actually go the opposite way and he would not want Manchester United or whoever he was at the time to sign another goalkeeper as good as him or in the same domain because he didn't want that competition. He wanted to be the clear number one. He wanted to know he was number one. He didn't want anyone close to his spot. And he thought, that would go on his nerves and agitate him. Now, in the press, I want to take from all years, especially being a goalkeeper, in the press recently, there's a lot highlighted with, obviously, um, Ramsdale and David Raya at Arsenal. Uh, I feel sorry for Ramsdale. You know, he's he was brought in at a very expensive English goalkeeper, still quite young at the time. He's done a job for Arsenal. Obviously, the, back in the last year, there was question marks about some of the goals, especially against Southampton, things like that. But obviously, it's clear that he's went out and he's brought Ryan on loan with an option to buy. And he's now looks like number one playing in the Champions League, playing the Derby, things like that. And I just want to know, Sam, I'll start with you. What's your thoughts on that scenario? And have you seen that along your journey, maybe with other people in the striker position or other goalkeepers, things like that? If you could shed some light in the professional game, if possible. Yeah, I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan as well, like I mentioned <laughs> earlier. So, like, obviously... That's very prevalent in my life at the moment with with Raya and Ramsdale. Um, I mean, I I do I, I do half understand it. I, I, I as bad as I loved Ramsdale last year. I thought he was was brilliant. I think he is a, a brilliant goalie, but I do think Raya's better. Um, and I just think that's the simplistic thing of like kind of side of it is that football. It's brutal, and it's there's no sentiment yeah. behind it. Like, yeah, he had a great year last year, Ramsdale, and made some you know, amazing saves away at Spurs last year, away at Liverpool last year. You know, huge saves that kept us in in the title race. But I I, I do think that Ray is probably an upgrade, um, and that's just the brutality of the sport. Um, and yeah, I mean, alluding to myself, I, I've had it as well. Yeah, I mean, I. At Sheffield Wednesday, I mean, I was at Sheffield when I signed for Sheffield Wednesday. Um, we had seven seven strikers, and I mean, of those seven strikers, all seven of them had been successful at that level or higher. 
you know, it was it was crazy. The actual players we had, we had like I say, we had me, Stephen Fletcher, um, Forestieri, Gary Hooper, Jordan Rhodes, Lucas Yao, and Atty Newhu, and like all seven of us were vying for two places. So you know, like, and it it was difficult. It is tough because like even at that stage when you've got that amount of players who are all experienced pros who were expecting to play at that level, it became difficult because, like, I remember I scored away at Barnsley um, and played 90 minutes um, on the Saturday. I was then dropped for the Tuesday game against Rotherham. um, And then I was out of the squad on the following Saturday. And then I didn't get back in the squad. I didn't get... Through no fault, I hadn't done anything. I'd scored the week before. Um, and then I was out of the squad for, for four weeks, uh, three weeks. And then I came back in the squad against Fulham to play Fulham, scored, and then was back in the squad for the playoffs. So it's like, it was just, and that wasn't through a bad performance. That wasn't through, you know, me doing anything wrong. That was down to just the manager wanting to go with different options. And, I think we all probably, all seven of us, probably felt the same way at the time of like, even if we play well, we might not be playing. So like, chance yeah. have we got here? And I, I truly believe that's the reason we didn't go up that year because we had we had the best squad in the league that season. Um, I was at Sheffield Wednesday. We did. We had the best like full squad in the league, and we lost to Huddersfield. Well, we lost on penalties to Huddersfield in the in the playoff semi-final. Huddersfield ended up going up, winning on penalties again. Um, and yeah, and 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 my my life and, and a lot of others could have been different if, you know, yeah. if that had <laughs> turned out differently, if we would have won on penalties. So who knows? Like, you can't really live in hindsight, can you? But yeah, that's a perfect example of, of, of having that kind of scenario where it doesn't matter what you do, you might not be playing. So, yeah. What did you do there? Like, what did you do for you to stand out against the seven? How did you try to make you the one who was picked? And and I'm thinking this as much from, like, obviously not everyone who listens to the podcast is going to be a professional footballer or an athlete. They may be someone in their workplace. So we'll, we'll try and decipher what people can do to, like, the principles. What did you say, right, I have to just really work hard at my trade? Do I have to really listen to them, what the manager wants? Like, like, what did you do to make sure it was you who was the person who was picked ahead of the other six? Yeah, you try and do everything right. I mean, your professionalism really never changes because I think if, you, mm-hmm. if you're a professional, you're professional in the good times, you're professional in the bad times, you know? Like, I think that should never, ever change. That's a certain level that you've got to keep to all the time. Yeah. Um, again, it's hard because you actually... Like, I could have had a day in training where I scored 50 goals and looked amazing and not played. Was Ethan in goal? <laughs> no, I mean, like this is what I'm saying. It, it was, it was just completely out of my control, and that was the only thing that kind of got me through that six-month spell. Um, because at, at the end of that six months, I joined Derby on loan because I was like, you know what? If I'm not going to play every week, I'm 26. You know, I, I want to go and play, and I want to be, you know, valued. Essentially, I don't want to just be one of seven. You know. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, it was just like, yeah, it's out of my control. The manager, he's going to pick me at some stage, 
when I'm when he picks me, I have to do again. I have to do as as well as I can and and, and do everything that I can control. And if he picks me the next week, great. If he doesn't, well, I did everything I could. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it is. It's really tough. It was it was really tough, and that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to go to Derby, and why why that move came about. Hello. I think um, that's one of the things. Sorry, I'm definitely lagging here again. Yeah, I think we all went there. Uh, controlling the controllables. I was just sort of laughing a little bit when you were telling the story about the the seven strikers because I think that whole predicament is sort of where we're at this season for our team. Like people are looking to having to be dropped even when having good games and stuff like that. So it just made me laugh. But I think I'm the I'm the I'm the same. Like I feel like if you don't going back to Ethan's question about the um you know the competition, I feel like. For me personally, I think it is a hard one when you've got people breathing down your neck because I feel like I don't feel like I thrive under that pressure of feeling like if I don't if I if I don't smash the game, I'm gonna lose my spot. Whereas I think I would prefer to be like the Peter Schmeichel where there isn't that other guy there, and I feel like that would allow me to ha- like to play with that sort of freedom. Mm. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was kind of alluding to about when I've played my best football is that like the best football I've ever played is when. I know that I'm, yeah. I'm the man that the rest of everyone looks looks to, and having that the pressure come from that kind of side, yeah. you know, the pressure to be the man rather than the pressure to stay in the yeah. side, because they're both pressure situations, but they're very different motivations behind them, isn't yeah. that? You know, like so. I think that's where I succeeded and where I I always preferred to be is that yeah. right. I'm the main man. If I don't score, you know what? I've let you down. And I, mm. I prefer that rather than being, right, if I don't score, I'm out of the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I always thought, you know what, if I don't score, I have let you down. I'm sorry. I'll, I will score next game. And that mm. was my kind of like thought process to it of like, you know what, I can't score every game because I'm not Messi. And I'm not Ronaldo. <laughs> but i tell you what, next game, I will fucking score for you and we will win. And that was like kind yeah. of my my attitude to it um and he did it served me well he served me well in my in, in the best parts of my career can i just say dean has definitely let us down many a time yeah always yeah, promises yeah. to make up always oh promises. yeah every week every week he's doing his best hey what i lack for an ability i make up for an effort so you know you'll, you'll never see us not running Exactly, um, morale yeah. and morale. Yeah, that's it. Really good job. I'm always on the sideline yeah. cheering. I'm the best linesman in the league. With the flag, with the flag. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say you'll you'll uh, you'll be keeping hold of that flag when you find out we've signed Sam and where the club he's been training with. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> this is where yeah, we tell God. you. Um, flag so, and top so, so, off so, so, as well. So, 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 sorry. <laughs> sorry, mate. My fault again. Terrible lag. This is. I'll have to sort this for next week. This has not happened before. Um, Sam, I think what would be super interesting as well, so we've talked about your football career, which is great. I'd be really keen to understand, and this is probably where we connected on LinkedIn around what you're looking to do now and what this sort of next stage of your career and probably the rest of your future looks like um, in terms of the work you're doing around training to be a counsellor. And obviously you're a huge uh, mental health advocate. What What made you decide to go down that path because it's not really the most common path for 
a footballer to go down. Most people say, I'm going to go into coaching or, I, I don't know, I might invest in some property, some businesses. What, what made you decide to go down sort of the counselling route? Um, well, it, was, it was my own therapy journey, if I'm going to be totally honest. Um, I, I went into therapy myself um, whilst I was at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. And I think seeing the kind of benefits of, of working with with a counsellor and with a therapist, um, it really gave me a kind of motivation of, of thinking, well, you know what, like I look at the football world and, you know, there's there has to be so many other players like myself who are probably struggling with one thing or another. Um, mine was a combination of things, a few things within football, a few, few things away from football. Um which led me to which led me to get a bit of support, um, and I just thought, you know what, there has to be more. There has to be more people who are in the same situation. And mm-hmm. although I got fantastic help, I mean, I I work with them now, but it was sport. I contacted Sported Chance, um, and mm-hmm. I had the, the sessions through there. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Sporting Chance. They're basically a they're a charity for which yeah. the PFA use um, for counselling. Basically, they also have a rehabilitation facility where people can go to rehab for, for four or five weeks um, if they've got addictions and stuff like that. So I do some facilitating for them, going around football clubs, um, kind of, and talking to different kind of groups and teams within football clubs about what sporting chance can offer. So I was really lucky. I kind of used their services. Um, mm-hmm. I had the therapy really helped me and I thought you know what I could do this I could genuinely be that therapist that helps that footballer um, who's who feels as if they're struggling who feels just not quite right um, and feels as if they don't know where to turn next and I just thought that having my level of kind of experience that I've had within football would also help other people to understand that I resonate and that I kind of understand what they're going through. Um, and that might encourage the player to open up. I mean, football is quite mm-hmm. a, quite an intrinsic sport like that in the sense that footballers only kind of listen to other footballers or other ex-pros or ex-coaches and stuff like that, you know, because we get, you know, we get stick on Twitter, we get stick on, you know, Facebook, we get stick off crowds. So you learn to block that out. But that probably is a negative when you go and speak to someone who's a therapist who doesn't have a clue about football, you know. So mm-hmm. I just thought I could com- combine the two. But I knew I had to put in the the graft to get the education to go alongside the kind of experience that I've had. Um, and you know what? Since I've started the kind of journey of learning how to be a counsellor, I have absolutely loved it and... It has given me so much kind of self-reflection and it has changed me as a person, you know, tenfold from the person that I was, not just before I started having um, counselling, but since I started the actual, the course and the education side of things. So it's been a massive benefit to me, this journey so far that I've been on and, and hopefully moving forward, I can be a massive avenue of support for for other sports people that are that may have been in a similar situation to one that I was in yeah I think um I just want to touch on that because 
first of all, well done on the like on yeah. what you're doing yeah. now to support other people who've been who have been in a similar position to what you have been in. Um so mental health I'm quite big on it at the minute because well seven months ago tomorrow I actually tried to commit suicide um after struggling with addiction. So I have been looking into sport and chance today and looking at the the different things they're doing it it is amazing um sort of the support they're giving i guess really the the for for say me when i was in that position there wasn't really any help available because the waiting lists and stuff are all absolutely crazy there's it's just i think every time i rang a different place it was nine months a year and it was setting me back a lot it's something I want to try and look at about how, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if it would be possible, but to try and reduce the waiting times if there was a way of setting something up, I just, I, it's probably not possible. But I guess it's it's just amazing that someone that's played, being a professional footballer, and now mm-hmm. you're going on that journey to try and help other people in that same place. I guess I've probably just I haven't really came clear with message. It's a little bit um it's <laughs> no, a bit no, no, taken aback. I do yeah, see. Uh, no, no, yeah. I mean it's 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 really um it's a really brave and courageous thing to say as well. I think to just completely, you know, to be open about it is 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 amazing. Um and you know, I really I really kind of applaud that in a way because it is quite a difficult thing to to be open about. Um and you are you are absolutely spot on. The the waiting lists through the NHS or the waiting list for just normal counselling is a real issue. Um, it, it boils down to there not being enough counsellors or there not being enough therapists. That's that's the problem. There's more people struggling than there are counsellors, um, and that is you know a real nationwide problem that we have. And I suppose unfortunately there's not much we can do about that other than trying to be a counsellor, which which I'm trying to do. Um, and like, that is something that, you know, moving forward, if I do, you know, get all my qualifications and do go into pri- being a private practice, having a private practice, sorry, that is something that I would obviously look to kind of eradicate because as you said, when you're looking, if you're struggling and you're looking for avenues of help and you're seeing nine month wait, nine months would be too late. You know, mm-hmm. and especially like the NHS through the NHS, they there's is some there's is a long waiting list as well. Two years, some of it's two years, yeah. It's a two year waiting list, and unfortunately, though, all they offer is CBT. So their kind of um, form of therapies is only CBT. So for someone like yourself who was who was having suicidal, you know, thoughts, that wouldn't have been even been like the appropriate help. You know, it, it, it wouldn't. Yeah. So it's a it is it's a real problem in the industry, and and that is something that hopefully with time, and the more people that are, are trying to get qualified, and the more jobs that there's going to become out there, hopefully that the waiting lists come down. But no, I, I really applaud your honesty and, and your, your courage to to come out with that. So it can't be easy. Yeah, thank you. I am like. I don't. I, I don't want to go into the story too much because I've been. I came on here as a guest initially, um, and shared. My he's one of our. He's one of our close friends. Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, 
I've link I've just connected with you on LinkedIn, so I'm actually trying to use my journey to sort of help other people, like Brilliant. not in a professional way. So you'll be able to see it on on there anyways. But yeah, no, like mine was through addiction, which is why my mental health did get bad. I um so yeah, I guess probably the 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 therapy sort of that was being offered, like you say, probably wouldn't have been relevant anyways. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm through it now. I'm much better, and yeah, thank you for that. Reese, one thing I'll say about that is you should never downplay the fact of um, the journey that you've come on. Like, And you try and do it all of the time. Like, I've spoke to you from that period to now. Mate, you've gone from probably not wanting to leave the house at all, not wanting to speak to anyone, to being a huge inspiration. And I'll say this to everyone, like... The, the the work you've done since the talks you're, you're doing, the going on various podcasts to now being a host on a podcast, like you are nothing short of an inspiration, mate. And I'm so proud of everything that you've done. So keep it up. Um, a, a big part of, obviously, Sam, what, what we got you on to talk about and um, what Reese is saying around potentially more funding. And Reese, this is probably an idea for you as much as anything or, or for you to take thought on on what we're actually doing here. We probably never will solve it through just therapy. So because men, we know this, we don't talk. So I've been in that same position as you previously. Ethan's been at suicidal thoughts before. Um, Dean, I don't believe you have on the conversations that we've had, but you've been in various different places in your mental health. Podcasts like this, groups getting together like Andy Mann's Club. We're going to be speaking to Luke Ambler very soon. Um Men getting together and realizing that standing up or even just speaking up about how you feel, what you're worried about, what your concerns are, what's stressing you out, what's making you feel as bad and as low as you do, that is what's going to make the shift and change versus thinking how we've all felt previously is that I am the worst person in the world for what I've done, for what I think, for what I what I have, might have lied about or... I'm not being true with myself. This keeps eating me in my head. Um, I don't know who I am. I'm not being who I am as a person. All those types of thoughts that we've all had, we are, we're normal for having those thoughts. It's not okay to have those thoughts, but so many of us have those thoughts. And this message to any man out there who hopefully is listening, if you're having those thoughts, you are not the worst person in the world. You just need to get some help. You need to speak to people. And whether that's a trained professional like Sam, whether it's your mate down the pub, if if you really need to go down the pub, whether it's going for a run, whether it's your mates at football, whatever that is, speak to someone. Because I promise you, as soon as you have spoken up, let that little bit of weight off your shoulders by opening up like I did to Ethan and Dean. And obviously I've spoken to, to you, Reese, about um, what happened in my life. Once you lower the pressure a little bit by speaking up it all becomes so much more manageable and i promise you you will never regret anything more because you won't be here to regret it than committing suicide and that really isn't the answer we we started this podcast sam because uh, one of the reasons me and ethan both lost a friend um ethan's lost a few people and it, it's really sad that to men under the age of 45 suicide is the leading death for men and Ultimately, we sit here and as a men's health podcast, a group of 30-year-old lads saying, this isn't right, that the services that are out there, the, the help that's out there isn't enough to stop men from doing what they're doing. 
and we've been there ourselves. And even just us as a group of lads on a Monday night having a bit of crack, ripping each other about some of them being shit at football, um, that, that in itself is enough for us to take the pressure off each week because we'll talk about the banter, we'll rip each other, but then we'll talk about conversations like this. We'll, we'll get amazing guests like you on to talk about football. I've learned loads about football as much as I have about mental health tonight. And actually, we've embedded a really important conversation around men's health into something as fun as we all love talking about, as we would in the pub, about football. And lads can replicate this type of conversation just by speaking up to your mates. And I, and I think that's something that our listeners really need to, if they take anything away, all we are as a group of mates getting together talking with a camera on. But all we're doing is having conversations that we should be having anyway. That's my um, little spiel done. No, I think it's a brilliant message to, to, to get across as well. I mean, you know, it's... There is there is still that stigma, isn't there? You know, and I mean, yeah. I do th I do think we are making strides. You know, I think we are in a better place now today than we probably ever have been in terms of that attitude that men can be vulnerable. Um, yeah, and and it's 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 good. It's good that we're on the right track, um, but we still got so so far to go. Um, yeah, and yeah. like you say, this is a this is a brilliant platform. It's a brilliant platform for people to just have a chat because this in itself can be a, an avenue of support. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, That's it. you know, you I, I'm not a regular with you guys, but I'm sure that for you guys, this is this is kind of like a bit of a avenue of support for the for the four of you guys okay. and for, for anyone else. And you know, that in itself is is brilliant, and it is just four guys just having a chat. And it's so simple, but so effective. Um, and it's something to be encouraged. Um, and it's something to definitely, that's why I was so, so happy to come on and, and, and kind of join you guys, because I think it's a great message to put forward. No, really appreciate that, mate, genuinely. like, And we are so grateful for you coming on. Um, we do have a last little bits of, set of the, the podcast here. Ethan leads on a section. He makes it up every week. So apologies if he calls it one of two things because he can never decide what it is. Um, Ethan has pulled together some very quick fire football questions for after as well. Um, I think it's. I think we'll all be keen just to understand what the the, uh, the answers to that are. But Ethan, I'll hand over to you, mate. Thank you very much for the intro, guys. And you know I appreciate what you were saying before, Lou um, and Sam. You know that the, the things you were saying and deep diving there you know Rico's journeys well documented and he's spreading the word so you know massive credit to, to to Rico um and long may continue you know getting the word out there and getting more people opening up um so basically Sam just a quick one mate we do something called hear no evil see no evil just a, a little bit of a lighter tone so we asked our guests of a book or a podcast um that you would listen to or read throughout your period whether obviously you know you've you've played football for quite a while now whether it's something that got you through your football obviously something that potentially helped you through tougher times you know anything that you would recommend to our listeners um or watchers if possible so yeah a book or a podcast my friend um well i'm a big audio book man um nice it normally comes from the fact that i've had commutes yeah. so like yeah. i've had commutes to sheffield from because i'm i'm live Birmingham I'm Birmingham based um yeah. so I've had commutes to Sheffield when I was at Sheffield Wednesday I've had to commute to to Oxford as well and both were substantial drives at times 
So big, big audio book man. Um, and I've listened to some. I do. I've really enjoyed listening to other people's kind of stories around kind of mental health. I mean, I'm obviously through my Arsenal connection. I thought Paul Merson's book was yeah was fantastic. His a second one, especially. I think it's called Hooked. I'm not yeah, sure, but is it hooked? Yeah. I mean, but that's yeah. a phenomenal read. Um, obviously, I have my loyalties because he's an, an ex Arsenal player, but excellent read. Um, a big one, big for me in terms of podcasting is I'm a huge, huge golf fan. Um, I love golf, love playing, love watching, love listening to. Um, and I listen to Rick Shields' podcast. Um, he's a big kind of YouTuber, podcaster surrounding golf. And that just gives me quite a level of sanity because it's a, a sport that I love and he's giving me all the kind of information I need about it and giving me topics to kind of consider, which is great. Um, so that's those two are my normal go-tos. But I think the more I go on my kind of counselling journey, the more reading I'm doing of different books and different theories and stuff like that. And it can get a little bit monotonous at times. Um yeah. But I am enjoying it. I'm just, what I am enjoying is taking bits alike from certain books um, and kind of molding that into the way I see things. I actually read a great book called Bounce recently, um, which is which was really good. And it's taught all about the myths of talent um, and how the guy, he's, he was like number one table tennis player um, in the country and his brother was number two. Um, but there was, out of the top 10, in the country, six of them lived on his road and were wow. brought up on his road. And it's kind of the, it's a, it's basically, it's a debunking kind of attitude towards yeah. that talent is a bit of a myth. Um, yeah. That's yeah. a great book I'd, I'd definitely recommend as well. I would, um, I would recommend, two seconds, Ethan, I've got a follow up for you on that one. If you, if you listen to or read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, it's a similar premise. It's all around how successful or why successful people are successful and even talks in, around like dates that people are born months are born and stuff you might have read it but it's incredible uh i have read books it's about the september theory isn't it that the september that yeah. september because of the school year have more of a um chance of becoming ceos yeah. and people of success because they have yeah I've, I've not read the full book but again that's a book that i've taken snippets of it's, yeah. it's the same, same kind of premise yeah very good Thank you, you for that say, uh, suggestion. No, it's fine. Thanks for that suggestion, Vinesy. Do you want to tell Sam about Plymouth while you're on again? Just, all right, <laughs> oh. I'll get back. To, I'll get back to it. Sorry, sorry, Sam. Before we're really interrupted, um, but yeah, mate, that's some great suggestions. That our Paldino, who has spoke forward today, he usually buys every book on Amazon, um, you know, so he'll be straight on it. That uh, sounds so, good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, sounds good. He, say, he says that like he reads any of them. He just he's got like a shelf. There was a, a word. What was the word last week? There was a phrase, wasn't there? A bookshelf or no no read shelf or something like that. Yeah, I probably I'm made that. Have up. To watch that. Watch that. So back. <laughs> anyway, Sam, sorry, mate. So drifted off there. Thanks to Vinesy. Um, so I was meant to get some questions off an Owls fan, my pal Rob from uh, from down Wednesday away, um, but he's not come back to me. So we've actually had some questions from our listeners while we've been doing the pod. Um, just a few people. 
Um, I also want to point out that Rob is in the bar books for not sending the questions as well. But we'll start with a nice easy one for you there, mate. What type of boots do you wear when you're playing? So I'm wearing Nike at the moment, uh, the Nike Phantoms to be precise. Um, I've actually, mate, throughout the years, I've probably tried every single boot that you could imagine and none of them are that great, if I'm going to be totally honest with you. It's so hard. It's so hard to find comfortable, comfortable boots and that's because like everyone's feet are different, aren't they? You get some people who've got thin yeah. feet, some people who've got fat feet. And I've just got like something in the middle somewhere. So like boots, you have you have to go some to find boots that suit your feet. But um but I do really like the phantoms, to be fair. The new night phantoms have been really nice. So yeah, I'd definitely uh, definitely wear a few few more pairs of those. <laughs> Top man, Dino's got those on order now. Um, better than better, better than my boots, mate. I wear black Puma Kings. I just like a, look like a fat referee yeah, goal. Absolutely. I mean, uh, next question, mate. Best player you've ever played with? Uh, I'd probably say um, probably Barry Bannon at Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, he was. Good I'm player. not just saying that because he was my car school buddy. So we both travelled up from uh, from Birmingham to Sheffield together for a couple of years, for a few years. But um, but no, like he, he was he was brilliant, really really good for someone who's like, you know, he's only like five foot six, and you know, he's probably eight stone. He swept through, but he's just so graceful on a pitch. His technique's fantastic, and he's 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 brilliant. And you know, he's he's having a bit of a tough start to life at, back in the championship with Sheffield Wednesday at the moment because they're, they're struggling a little bit, but. Um, but now nah, he's yeah. he's a top top class player. No top man, and this one's a bit from me. Best goalkeeper you've played with, or played against? Actually, that's it. That's it. Oof. Um, the against could be a big flex here, couldn't it? Yeah. Big uh, I'm not even sure who uh, again. Uh, like I say, I've played against so many goalkeepers, scored past most of them as well, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> had to put that in, didn't I, lads? <laughs> uh, I, played with, I, I thought Scott Carson at Derby was really good. The year that the year I, I was at Derby, um, we did we got to the playoffs and we had a great great year. Really, I think we finished third in the league, so we we, we nearly got promoted automatically. But um, but he was he was instrumental in that that year. Yeah. You know, there were so many games that we like nicked one nil or 2-1 and he made like 10 saves in the game that you just think wow like it's just going to be our day um i think we we played leeds now yeah we played leeds away and like um i was i'd scored two in the game we won 2-1 and i'd scored both the goals but genuinely he made probably about 15 saves so even though i'd scored two i think he still got man of the match which is like wow. in is insane for yeah. a goalkeeper. So he was brilliant that year. Um, but yeah, so I'd, prob- I'd probably go for him if I'm going to be honest. I love how you just casually name drop the a Champions League winning four or five time Premier League winning goalkeeper there. Like, yeah, yeah, it's treble winner. Impressive. Treble winner. Yeah, yeah. treble winner. He's an even better person as well. That's, I think that's the best part about him that he's, he's just a top, top man. I'm not surprised like that Guardiola keeps him around. You know, he'd yeah. be the first to admit that he's not going to be the first name on the team sheet. He's not going to replace Edison, is he? But like yeah. the effect that he'll be having on the dressing room, it, it just it just does not surprise me that he's he's there year in year out. 
It's a tough yes. job he's got, though, really, isn't it? Yeah, I've heard he's top man, by the way. Everyone says he's top man, but, I mean, that that job, third choice. I know he's winning everything in the sun, but you sort of sell your soul, don't you, to do that? You know you're not going to be getting a run out in a cup game. I know a couple of years ago he came on the Champions League, didn't he, for, like, the last 30, and he played against Newcastle in that, what was it, 4-4 draw a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. So... It, it is a tough one, um, but yeah, I've heard he's top man, so I appreciate that. And a massive flex because he did play for England, by the way. He did, and, uh, yeah. He yeah, did top man. Yeah. I won't yeah. remind you. I won't remind you of the game he did play against the Croatia yeah. but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a difficult one that to be fair. Um, so just another one moving on. Best moment in football to date. Um. Uh, probably scoring in the playoffs for Barnsley. Um, if I'm going to be totally honest, like so, we uh, we got to we got through to it was a mad season. So at, the, at Christmas we were like bottom of the league. We were in the relegation zone at Christmas, and then after that we just went on a mad run where we won I think something like 17 out of the last 20 games and, and nicked nicked to the sixth playoff. Uh, the play, the, well, sorry, the last playoff place on the on the last day of the season, beating Wigan, and um, we'd just been on so much form that we just felt unbeatable. And anyway, the first leg we played Warsaw, who, who'd finished third, who'd finished on like ninety six points and not got promoted. And anyway, we just we absolutely like battered them, and, and I scored two. Nice. And I remember like I scored in the second half to make us go two and up, and then. Got the got the ball literally straight from kickoff, and I just felt like invincible because like the stadium was rocking. I'd scored in the playoffs. It was a nice hot day. Like I had my yeah. family in the I had my family in the box. It was just like it couldn't get any better. So I just thought, oh fuck it, I'm going on a run. Anyway, I went on a run from like straight right from the halfway line, beat a couple of players, scored again, like to go to put us three. Wow, like probably the best goal I'd ever scored on probably the biggest occasion as well. And it was just like, you know, I half blacked out. I, I remember like I just ran out of the, like slid on my knees and eyes closed, had no idea what was going on. People will give me, could have been spectators running on the pitch. It could have been anyone. I don't know. Still to this day, I don't know who it was, but you know, that was euphoric. Um, it was that, that'll take, take some beating. I mean, that's my, like as bad as it sounds, my joyous occasions have always come from goals rather than wins. You know, like yeah. the, the moments where you striker. actually... Yeah, I'm a striker. Yeah, I'm a classic striker. <laughs> and that's, that's the way we've built. We just built that, like, we're selfish and we like to... Like, we care about scoring goals. But, you know, if we score goals, more than likely the team going to win. So, you know, I think yeah. that was that was always my kind of like that high that I chased was the those those goals not not just any goal those important goals you know they they always kind of hit differently um so yeah that was my moment top man I don't awesome. think any of us I, yeah I don't think any of us have reached that yet um definitely know, I mean, not I, nah I mean I did score once in Sunday league which is an overhead volley and that was quite close to it Nice. Uh, it was a great, great finish. I'm, I can't remember when, when but what, it was quite a while ago. But yeah, Sam, I do get it, and I can, I can relate to that, my friend. Yeah, yeah top notch, mate. I love that. Um, so you, as you mentioned, you're, you're training with an unspecified club. Mate, that may may not be the King's Arms in Killingworth. Um, and you've got years in the tank, mate. Obviously. 
touch wood, injury free, you know, you can get back to your best scoring goals. Just something from us, what is something you would like to achieve before you do retire and obviously step into to your next steps, which obviously we've discussed already? Um, you know what, mate, that's really tough because like, I think I, I've been really lucky that like I, I have kind of like, like my, my goals were, what kind of like when I was, you know, starting out or when I was a kid, like the, the two things I always wanted to do is I wanted to win at Wembley, which I've done twice. And I wanted to score hundred career goals and, I, and I've done that. So it was like, you know, it has been tough really. Cause kind of like when, when you get to that stage where you've kind of done the two things that you wanted to do, you know, it's like, <laughs> what, what's the next step? Because I could have I could have lied and said that like you know what I want to be Arsenal's number nine, but like the realism of it is like I'm not good enough. I'm not. I never was good enough to be able to be that yeah. person. So like any kind of form of goal that you have to set has to be realistic. Otherwise, it's just you're just setting yourself up for failure essentially. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd, 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 right now I'd, I haven't got a kind of aspiration that I could just say you know what this is what I want to achieve. I more just want to enjoy the last few years of my footballing career and go away knowing that I did everything I can and that I'd live, I kind of have no regrets and that, you know what, it could have been better, it could have been worse, but hopefully I've, you know, put a smile on the people who love me's face throughout the years and I've helped some of my teammates along the way as well. So... You know, it sounds like a bit boring answer. I'd love to give you a kind of an aspiration, a goal that I've got. But I think when you get to this stage in career, mate, it becomes it becomes different. Nah, I appreciate that, mate. I appreciate that. Can I just jump in one second? You've lived most lads' dreams. You know what I mean? Playing professional footballer. Honestly, like, fair play. Scoring 100 goals, amazing. You have lived. I know I've dreamt about being a professional footballer. Even even still a couple of years ago, I was like, you know what? Maybe I can. <laughs> you know, it's it's just something we've all seen you play Rico. About. I've yeah. seen you as well, Lou, don't worry. Um <laughs> no, but um yeah, no, fair bit, yeah. You've you've done what people most people can only dream of. Yeah, and I mean there's like, you know, I don't want to I don't want to sugarcoat it at all. Like, like I've gone through a lot of kind of suffering in that time as well. You know that like it has. It's really affected my mental health at times. Um, you know my physical health, obviously through the injuries that I've picked up over the years, like has taken a bit of a bit of a battering as, as well. And and it, it there is a price to pay along that line. You know, and I think all footballers go through that. And it probably doesn't get kind of. Like, noticed or it doesn't get um like no one really seems to care about it because it's like like you say everyone's kind of says you know what you're a footballer you've lived every person's dream but there is definitely a kind of a darker side to it that comes alongside it and there's you know challenges that comes for, for every footballer at some stage whether it be someone like me who's played predominantly in the football league well all, all my career really has been in the football league whether it be championship league one or two um mm-hmm. or the lads that are at the absolute top of the premier league you know i mean you just have to look at like how many 
top players now are coming out and saying that they've struggled with mental health in the past. I mean, Marcus Rashford has a celebration that he talks about yeah. it. Jadon Sancho infamously had quite a few months off last year where he was given an extended break to come, go and work on his mental health. Paul Pogba as well spoke about it. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison. I mean, the list goes on. So, I mean, it just shows that it's not simple industry. It's not uh, the glitz and glamour that everyone kind of stereotypes football as. But, mm -hmm. again, the highs are really high and the, the lows are really low. And that's just yeah. that's, that's the industry. And that's the one thing I say to anyone who's not been in it, not been in the industry or wants to get into the industry or has ambitions to get in the industry is just, just be prepared for that. Just be prepared that the highs are you, you cannot replicate. They're higher than anything you'll ever experience other, other than having a child personally. That was mine. But apart from that, football has given me the, the only highs that you can ever imagine. But then it's also brought me the hardest lows as well. So, you know, if you can prepare for that and you know that that's coming, then, you know, that that holds you in good stead, especially if you've got a kind of strategy to deal with that. Yeah, I think that is such an incredible point. And it's it's probably a, a great one to, to end the pod on because for, for me, football is, it's such an emotive sport it's something as a, as a fan we watch every single weekend and i i really personally i i've probably struggled to comprehend how some people can go from that super high of scoring a goal at wembley for example or playing in front of 50 60 70 thousand people and then you, five years later you're retired you don't have that adrenaline all the time anymore so yeah it's i think that's a such a powerful point to to round on and it, it, yeah no, no wonder so many people like paul merson as you mentioned before end up leaving the sport and they look for something else maybe to fill that adrenaline rush that kick that hit um mm. yeah and, and hopefully the, the work that you go on to do if it if you continue down that path that you're doing can can really help some of those people leaving that because as you as you mentioned before i think it takes someone to have experienced the highest highs to be able to sit down and talk to someone about the fact that life just isn't going to be like that now that you've finished playing sport and actually you need to find new purpose in your life to give you that next set of goals objectives to, to feel that true fulfillment and not constantly chase the next buzz because nothing will ever get you back to that that point again and that's the reality of it really that is like you've just said that's reality of, of all footballers career you know like that unfortunately it comes to an end it, it does like yeah. it's not something it's not something that you can do for the rest of your life it is going to come to an end and i think that like you have to have not you know i'm not going to be saying like you know you have to have a career in lined up for the day you retire like that's just not like feasible for, for everybody. I think it's more of a, a mindset that you have to have prepared. You have to have a prepared that like, right, I'm going mm -hmm. into, I'm potentially retiring now. I need to have the mindset of like, right, my life's going to be completely different now. How am I best mm -hmm. going 
kind of deal with this challenge because that it is it's a it's a huge challenge um you've you, like most kids are like myself they've been playing football since sorry most footballers are like myself have been playing since they were five you know yeah if you retire at 35 that's 30 years that you've been doing something and then now it's just been it's just over you know it's difficult to it's difficult to consider isn't it you know like so it's definitely having yeah. something in place, like like I say, a mindset in place of how you're going to tackle that tackle that change, the huge life change that you're going to go through. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, Sam, I think it'll be really good in post your football career. Obviously, you're welcome back anytime pre that, but post your football career as well to see how that transition goes for you from being a professional footballer to then how you are getting on with that next phase of your life. I think that'll be a really interesting conversation for us to to have. And, and I'm sure some of the work we're doing, some of the work you're doing, I'm sure our paths will continue to cross because um, it sounds like you're doing some awesome stuff and, and looking to do more future stuff. And yeah, our, our next phase of the pod is probably to do more in-person type stuff um, with businesses, people, individuals. I know Reese's trying to set up quite a few sort of public speaking type stuff um so yeah i'm sure there'll be plenty of time for us to to catch up and and see what happens over the next few years for you as well no absolutely that's like anytime you you want to uh, get in touch or bring me back on just let me know and i'm i'll be up for it so it's been a been a pleasure yeah. to be on appreciate it very much mate thank you so much for sharing your story your message uh with the everyman podcast anything any thoughts boys ethan look like you're about to talk there no, I was just gonna. Yeah, no, nope, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say, Sam, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Um, don't check your inbox because Dino's gonna message you about one-to-one -one coaching. But yeah, <laughs> I really appreciate your time, mate, and thanks for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah, no, I don't charge man. I don't charge much. You're such a dick. All right, mate. Thank you. <laughs> right, cheers to all our guests and, and listeners. We will catch you on the next one. Thank you. Time to grind, get inside your mind. Yeah, we working overtime. That's the only way to climb. We gon' make it in our prime. Signing on the dotted line. Cashing checks left and right. That's the way I'm living life.